This is the Freeman's Remaster, Chris Connors, and I'm here on behalf of my good friends, and you are going to listen to them right here, right now, Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Ryan. Good evening and welcome back to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. This is Brian in Buffalo, New York, U.S. of A., back after our little holiday hiatus, and with me as always... So, from Swansea, how are you, Brian? It's not been a holiday hiatus for me, because I've not had any holidays. We don't have holidays here until Christmas. Well, I like to call it a holiday hiatus. We took a holiday from the show. Yeah. Yeah, a month. Should That's we tell everybody crazy. the truth and why it happened? Because Lauren decided she hated me and didn't want to talk to me ever again. That's a lie. Don't say lies like that to people, Brian. Stop lying, liar. No, what happened was we had some guests lined up that um, a couple had to back out due to emergency circumstances, and instead of rescheduling uh, with substitutes, you know, we decided we needed a little bit of a break because we've been going like crazy for over a year so we took a couple weeks off we're sorry um i appreciate all your emails yes we are still alive and we have a wonderful show tonight and a big holiday special coming up next week but before we get into all that lauren how are you i'm okay no you're not you're going crazy you're going cuckoo for cocoa puffs with all your school stuff over there yeah, well, things haven't exactly, you know, it's been tough here and I have to ask for a further extension and they're not being very, very good about it. They're not giving me all the information that I need and it's taking them, it took them a week to reply to an email, a week. That's that's a long time. And then I sent some stuff off to my dissertation tutor and apparently he missed it. I don't know how he missed it because I told him exactly. I sent him an email saying I will send it to you by this date at the latest. And then he missed it. And then he's only got back to me today. And because I don't know if I'm having an extension yet, it's due on, a, it's due on a Wednesday. And he's only just sent me back feedback today. So I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I hate them all. Yeah, well, you know what you got to do? There's only one solution. Sick Theo on him. Uh, he's already, he already tried to join some of my lectures when I was in <laughs> university. I'm surprised he didn't try to take over the lectures. Yeah. He's cute enough. It's been busy, busy, busy here in the States, Lauren. And I got to tell you a little story. <clears throat> yeah. I, think, I think you'll like this. I was meeting some people out recently that uh, wanted uh, signed copies of the book uh, that the wrestlers wrestlers so available my, through Amazon. Where's my copy of the book, Brian? <sighs> That's another story. But, so one of the people I, I had to meet out was, uh, was, a, was a professional wrestler, bad boy Barry Hardy, who was actually quoted in the book several times. Well, he was in my area. So me and Dan and him, we all got together, got him an autographed copy of the book, uh, took some pictures there on Facebook. You could see him, but we were talking about the show, and he'd heard about our show, and uh, I think he'd be a great guest to come on some point because funny guy. 
But the great thing of the story is he says, Oh, yeah, Danny told me about that. I listened to a couple episodes of that show. It's uh, you being obnoxious and that sweet-sounding girl from uh, from England. <laughs> At which point I had to say it's not England, it's Wales, but... Uh... Ooh. So, it's okay, I'll take it. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll yeah. take sweet-sounding girl. I'll take the sweet-sounding girl from England. How about that? At which point Dan says, "Oh my God, don't you just like melt when she talks?" And then the two of them, with me sitting there, went on and on about you for about ten minutes, like I was gone, like I disappeared from the room. I have fans. <laughs> yeah, just wanted to just wanted to throw that out there for you. So, do have we had any fan mail or messages since we've disappeared off the face of the planet of podcasting? We got quite a few about where are you, where's the show, there was supposed to be a new episode, what's going on, um, you know, stuff like that. We got lots of feedback on Sarah Beth Hopton, of course, as always. Absolutely. They love Sarah Beth. So apparently there was the sweet girl from Appalachia and the sweet girl from England and then the obnoxious guy from Buffalo. Sweet girl from England. (laughs) That sounds about right. Yeah, well... You're you're a bit sore about that, aren't you, Brian? Actually, no. I I wasn't sore until they just completely ignored me and just talked and talked and talked about you for a while. Like I wasn't (laughs) even in the room. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. that's that <laughs> Brian I know I know but even with all that even even though you get all the adulation and the praise and the, and the cheers and the and everybody loving on you I'll still tell you a joke go on man all right what kind of doctor is Dr. Pepper Oh, no. A physicist. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of good. Yeah, see, you're getting used to my, you're liking my jokes. Um, Yeah, so, so, um, have you got this new um, strain of um, Corona yet, Omicron? Oh, not only do we have it, my county in in New York, Erie County, is the ninth highest with the rate of it in the country. So we're all over that shit. How, ma- how many cases do you have? Way too many. And since we have all these cases, the protests, the anti-vax and anti-mask protests have tripled in the area. Uh, yeah, we've had lots of anti-mask ones. Um, because a lot of the businesses here were given money by the local um councils to put things in like hand sanitizers and screens in so when you go up to a counter in a shop now you know you have screens between you and the customers because sometimes it's very difficult especially of elderly customers to talk to them with your masks on because they have hearing issues so um this woman in it's like a private run cinema it's not really a cinema in the way that you know you would think of a cinema um it, it serves pizza and, and, you know, you sit there um, and it's a cafe in the, in the day. Well, and let's be honest, have... Lauren. It serves oh. what you people call pizza because real pizza yeah. is from where I live. But she, um, 
Well, she refused for her staff. She refuses to allow her staff to wear masks because it's against their freedoms. She refuses to have any sort of. Um, so the money that they gave her, um, she hasn't used it to put to implement any of the safety stuff like hand sanitizer or hand wash. And she doesn't do like a COVID clean. Like when you have an audit- a cinema auditorium in between each screening, you you do a thorough cleaning of the auditorium to ensure that it's as safe as possible before the next people come in. And it's a lot of work, you know. You know, when I worked in the cinema, it was the staff were fantastic, and they did it. They, you know, they didn't skimp, and they did it really fast, and they did it. You know, they they were precise with what they did, and she she wouldn't do it. So she's had to go to court, and now they the council have bolted her doors shut, so she can't open again because they changed her locks, and she changed the locks back, and now she's going to be found. You know, she's there taking her to court uh, because they feel that she's been in contempt of court and you know and I understand that if you want to get the vaccine or you don't want to get the vaccine that's your personal choice um, I think that you should get the vaccine and I think that it's very important that you get the right vaccine for you and your health but to sort of like be that reckless you know especially if you're you've got a, a hospitality venue because you don't just have to consider the health of your staff but the health of your customers as well and it has such implications especially for a licensed venue they don't care no she doesn't and let me point out something does anybody see the fucking irony in the fact that she refuses to let people wear masks because of freedom what if their choice is to wear a mask then she's taking away their freedom it's very difficult for an employee because when you work your employer is meant to supply you with ppe to ensure that you're you are safe people are given you know pe- businesses were given money to provide their staff with ppe and she hasn't done that she's not providing them with ppe and that's just incredibly reckless now you see this is why they think you're that sweet sounding girl from england <laughs> because when we say mandated ppe and stuff here it sounds so clinical when you say it it sounds so sweet and lovely like you're giving out candies it's like cotton candy PPEs. Go ahead, say it again. What? PPE. PPE. It just sounds cute when you say it. Ugh. I had to order PPE when I worked in the cinema. I used to worry about running out of PPE. I, are you down with PPE? You're too young no. for that joke. Oh, Lauren. Not PPE. I, I don't get... Yeah, they, it's not... Oh, uh, you're going to frustrate me again. Get me talking about these yokels. These people protesting and having rallies here to like, you can't make me wear a mask. It's like, well, th- you can't fucking breathe my air and infect me, you asshole. This isn't about your freedom. It's not about your choice. You're affecting everybody. But on a happier note, Dr. Pepper's a physicist. <laughs> yes, indeed. So how's Cleo? I've not heard about, I've not seen or heard Cleo in a month. Cleo is, uh, Cleo's uh, her happy little chubby self. Oh, she just looked hunkered down when I said that. Oh, she's not chubby. She's a queen. She is a queen. But, you know, we're still debating getting that, uh, the other CAT. I wouldn't. No, I'm thinking it's a bad idea because 
you know, I got one of those, remember those clocks from like the 1950s that were where the cat tail was the pendulum and its eyes would move back and forth? Yeah. Yeah, I got one of those, right? She hates it. Oh, she fucking hates it. She stares at it like, one of these days I'm going to kill you, motherfucking other cat. Uh. It's high up on the wall so she can't get it, but she stares it down like she's going to. Yeah, it's very difficult. You've got to do what's right for her. And sometimes that is getting another animal, and sometimes that's not getting another animal. I don't think she wants to share her food dish. And then you've got to think, you know, could she cope with, uh, you know, would she be better with a an adult cat, or would she be better with a kitten? No, she wouldn't be better with either one. She's an only cat. She likes to be the queen. Then, yeah. I bet Loretta Swit would be like, no! Get 12 cats, <laughs> Loretta Swit would say. Can you believe Loretta Swit came on this show? No, I, I can't believe Loretta Swit came on this show. Every once in a while, I watch TV and MASH comes on, and I just giggle to myself. <laughs> she was on the show. She flirted with me. Yeah, she did. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she, she thought our call was spam. Oh. Speaking of spam, did you ever eat spam? No. So, I was watching a, a thing on TV the other day, and it was all about different ways to cook Spam. I couldn't take my eyes off of this thing. I watched the whole damn thing, and afterwards I thought it all still looked like shit. I, I, I've i had corned beef, but I, not Spam. Yeah. That, now, the, Spam is a weird thing. People either love it or hate it. Like, in Hawaii, they love it. That's like their big delicacy. But uh, I want our listeners of this show right in... If you eat spam, and if you do, do you actually like it or just eat it because it's cheap? And how do you make it so it doesn't, you know, taste like, you know, three-week-old hot dogs? In other words, why? Because I've had spam, and and, and I'll tell you now, it was a big mistake. Not as bad as the hot dog in London, but bad. Did it give you the poops? No, that would be wonderful. That would be like a great side effect. Do you know what my brother says... You know when you eat something that gives you the shits really bad? You know what my brother says that is? What? Says it's your asshole thanking you. I don't know. That's one way. You're at a loss for words, aren't you? Yeah, I am a little bit. So next time Theo gets the shits and he complains about it, just tell him, Theo, that's your asshole thanking you. No, they don't call it diarrhea. They call it sick poo. Sick poo? Yeah. Well, sick poo is your is your is your bunghole thanking you. They do. They call it sick poo. And did you know, you can't oops a turd. That's that's my that's my um, public service announcement of the day. You can't oops a turd. Should we move on now today? Our history. <laughs> Are you trying to say you've oops a turd? No, I just don't want to talk about this anymore. Okay. Well, we can move on to our uh, <clears throat> Today in History. History, history, history. And because I'm a gentleman and because I missed you so very much, I'll let you go first. He did, because you said to me on Friday, and I thought you might have been a little bit drunk, because if I haven't told you recently, I love you. It's true. <laughs> See, I'm not always obnoxious. No, no, you're not. Right, so 
My today in history is on the 14th of December, 1914, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson signs Harrison's Narcotic Tax Act uh, to regulate and tax production, importation and distribution of opiates and cocoa, cocoa products. Cocoa, yeah. Cocoa products? Cocoa products, yeah. Yeah, how'd that work out? Not very well. No. Good old Woody Wilson, I think, was uh, maybe on the opiates. Probably. He, he, stopped this, he stopped the American suffragettes getting the right to vote as well. Yeah, it's because he was high. I don't know. People do not... Woodrow Wilson fans out there, please do not send hate mail. I don't really... I'm not really implying that President Wilson was an opiate addict. Yes, you are. He could have been. I wasn't there. I don't know. But that's a great segue into my day in history, Lauren. You know why? Yeah. Because my day in history is about jazz. And everyone associates jazz with drugs for some reason. But today in history, December the 14th, 1959, the album Time Out by the Dave Brubeck Quartet was released. And it became the first million-selling jazz album. Got all the way up to number two on the Billboard charts. Jazz album. Sold over a million copies. First time ever. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I mean, it's a great album. And anybody who's never heard it, shame on you. You should go get a copy of Time Out. Phenomenal album. But the fact that, you know, jazz, a lot of people say, is the only original American form of music. And was very big throughout all of the 20th century that it wasn't until 1959 that a jazz album actually sold a million copies interesting it's a great album Lauren I know you know the album you don't I may do you don't know it do you no I don't ah well that's your homework you're gonna have to go get this album okay no I just gotta listen to it on Spotify you can listen to it on Spotify that counts but uh Amazing album. And speaking of amazing, something amazing and colossal and stupendous, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk about another wonderful American tradition, the circus. Lauren, were you a fan of the circus growing up? Um, I, to be quite honest with you, I didn't go to the circus. I've been to a circus now as an adult, but not as a child. I didn't go to the circus. No, but, you know, especially in America, the traveling circus, you know, there's that old expression, it's American as apple pie, baseball, and the circus. Uh, traveling circuses were such a, just such a thing in America for, 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 for centuries. And, you know, obviously the huge ones, the Barnum and Bailey's and, you had the sideshows and the not the carnivals, but the actual big three-ring circuses with the ringmasters and the lion tamers and the elephants. And it's all but gone now. I, I mean, there's very few circuses left. The ones that are are just a shell of what they were. And this ultimate form of American, Americana, American entertainment is, is, is practically uh, non-existent now. And I thought we'd uh, thought it'd be fun to talk about that and talk about circuses and how big they were in their heyday and 
how big they got and how important they were to American society. What caused the downfall? What caused the demise? What factors were put into play? Surely the animal rights, you know, banning... Yeah, that's a lot of it. That's a big part of it. Um, But that's not all of it. That's, that's, I'm sure that's just a part of it, but I got a gentleman, oh, he's going to shed some light on this. His name is Chris Connors, and he was Mr. Circus. I mean, he was a ringmaster. He was a clown. He was involved in the circus for generations of his family. And uh, I got a hold of him, and he agreed to come on and talk to us about this topic. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And I am going to ask him, why do clowns scare the shit out of all of us? Do you think that's a bad question, Lauren? No, no, that's not a bad question. That is a very true question, and I blame Pennywise. Uh, but Pennywise, yeah, that's part of it. But I think, you know, at least for us, like, Poltergeist was before that, and that was scary as shit. But, uh... Anyway, I'm gonna fire up this magic interview box. It's the magic interview box. All right, and let's flip the switch and talk to Chris. Oh, Lauren, 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 are you ready for this? I am indeed. I'm looking forward to it so much because the cir- we, we did have we did have traveling circuses in Britain, but um, not so many animal-led ones. It would be quite interesting to to learn more tonight. Oh, and the circus we're going to focus in on tonight. Let me tell you, Lauren. The Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers Circus. Now, Clyde Beatty is a legendary figure, especially in America. I mean, he was a movie star and a big-time circus performer. But what we got is an actual ringmaster from the circus. Now, the, the, these guys are like the poobah of the entire like circus life. And it, it's just... For them to actually take the time to say, you know, I'll talk to that schmuck Brian in Buffalo... Is, is just an incredible honor. But all the way from the big top, under the big top, the legendary ringmaster, Chris Connors. How are you, ringmaster? Well, thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me on. It's great. It's uh, it's an honor to meet you. I, I heard so much about your podcast, and it's, uh, you know, I'm not under the big top anymore. I'm kind of... I don't like the words retired, but I'm I'm here in beautiful Florida. Well, Florida is where you go to retire in the U.S., so... Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah, so it's kind of ironic, but I, I still work, but I'm not with the circus anymore. No one's with the circus anymore. That's part of what we're <laughs> talking about today, that I was trying to explain to Lauren how big a deal the traveling circus was for a couple centuries in American culture for it to have just... It's not dead, but uh, nope. someone's got their, their their hand on the life support plug because it's <laughs> almost there, and that's it's, just in the past twenty years. Yeah, it's it's gone down quite a bit. When I first uh, joined the business way back in nineteen ninety eight, there was uh, quite a bit of our shows out there. I started with a small family circus called Roberts Brothers, and uh, since then it's it's it folded its tent for good. Um, there's still shows out there. Uh, this past weekend, I was in Sarasota, the home of the circus, uh, originally Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey, when John 
Ringling had it, and then, of course, his nephew, John Ringling North. Uh, the winter quarters was huge, and at the fairgrounds where we had this circus Christmas festival, uh, a lot of people attended. We had a lot of circus people there. Uh, several different shows in the open air, but yours truly had his... Uh, I had my art. I, I'm uh, kind of doing that now. That's my new little hobby on the side, besides uh, I work for Mickey Mouse. So it's a, it's a crazy uh, world I live in. Uh, the circus is not really dead. It's just... It, it's changed. There is still a few shows out there. Not the, like the big one. Not like when I was on Clyde Beatty Co-Brothers Circus and then uh, years later, we changed it to Cole Brothers uh, for several reasons. Some of the people that don't like animals in the circus, they didn't like the name Cly Beatty. Uh, they thought he was uh, a terrible man, and uh, they thought he shot his lions and tigers. Well, they were all blanks, and it was just to give them a scare. And that was the big thing back in the in the 20s and the 30s and uh and he did it right to he died he died in the mid 60s 64 65 i'm not thinking straight right now but um he was the last of the old we call it the fighting act because he would get out there play with the lions and the tigers and at one time he had 40 cats in a big cage that must have been something to see i never saw that um but yeah the circus is completely the opposite now. Uh, you have Big Apple Circus, which is in Lincoln Center right now, up in my old neck of the woods, and where you're up there in New York State. Uh, Big Apple is now run by Nick Walenda, uh, generations of the world-famous Walenda Highwire, and he runs the Big Apple Circus. They do have a dog act, uh, and a lot of unique human, and that seems to be the big thing now. There is a lot of shows, but not the big shows of the big animals anymore. There's quite a quite a few out there, but not like it was. Yeah, it's to a lot of people of the younger generations, the millennials, the uh, Gen Zs, or whatever they're called now. When they think circus, if they think circus, <clears throat> they think of Cirque du Soleil. Exactly. Yep. Which is an acrobatic feat and certainly would have been part of a circus but but to me or people of my generation and going back to my grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents the circus was the event of the year for your city that's right i mean in america this started in what the late 1700s yep and that was the big deal. The circus came to town. Even in Buffalo, where I am, you know, you think of Buffalo as a city. You don't think of it as a circus type of town. But every year, Ringling Brothers, Barnum & Bailey Circus would be at the arena. Yep. Which is why I always tell people, now this I'm going off on a tangent because I tend to do that since the show's called Ramblings. <laughs> it's okay. The, the old hockey arena, the old War Memorial, where the Buffalo Sabres played for the first 20 years of my life you walked into that building and and whatever they used to make the ice the freon or whatever had a different smell back then and it actually produced cold coming off the ice and you just walked into this building that smelled of 50 years of stale beer 50 years of this horrible chemical to make the ice and 50 years of (laughs) elephant shit and that to me is the smell of hockey (laughs) if it wasn't for the elephant shit (laughs) that smell of hockey wouldn't exist. 
Yep. The circus was, and, and as we go later in the show, we'll get into the depressing thing about how it died, but I want to talk about the the importance of the circus in American culture, because you are not only a ringmaster, you are being a little, you know, you're, you're, you're downplaying a little bit. You're one of the preeminent circus historians as well. I mean, your knowledge yes, of the circus and the history of the circus is legendary. I mean, the f- Facebook groups and all these groups come to you for information on this. So. Yeah. How did you develop this interest in the circus? Well, that's a long story. I'll try to make a nice, short, sweet, uh, not too much bullshit, but there probably will be, you know. I'll be at work and everybody says, boy, you like the bullshit. I said, well, I used to get paid for that as a ringmaster. Hullabaloo. Um, And and it's true. But uh, uh, my parents were circus fans. My dad, unfortunately, passed away in 1992, so he never really saw me on the Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers Circus or even Roberts Brothers. Um, but he's the one that drilled in my mind. Uh, he taught me the history of the circus. I still got a lot of his collection. Uh, he was a model builder, uh, built circus wagons and uh, miniature trains and uh, the tent and the whole thing. And uh, we didn't have a lot of space in the house that we lived up. But we, I grew up in the Hudson Valley. I was uh, born in uh, Poughkeepsie. And I uh, lived in Newburgh, and a lot of my friends couldn't believe, uh, you're going to be home this weekend? No, uh, we're going to go visit a circus. And the circus would either be in uh, Connecticut or Massachusetts or Pennsylvania. It didn't matter. Uh, my dad was uh, loved the circus, uh, had a lot of friends in the circus business. Uh, he was a member of the Circus Fans of America, an uh, organization that really... Uh, and they're still involved. There's still a big group of them across the whole country. There's even, uh, in Europe, there's circus fans over there. And probably in England, there's a group, few groups that love the circus. Um, that's how I got started. And to this day, I still have a collection of my dad's books. There's, And I actually, uh, uh, I'm in four different books. So that tells you I was in the business for over 20-something years and... Uh, I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time. I was a guy that everybody's like, oh, you're not born in the business, you're nobody. And I proved them all wrong. I learned quick how to be around elephants, and I love elephants. Elephants are like a big dog to me. And you were talking about elephant uh, shit smell, mm-hmm. and I used to smell that off every morning. I tell you, it's hard when you leave the circus life and you leave live in a nice I live in a nice neighborhood but I wish somebody had an elephant next door because <laughs> I do miss the smell of it and uh, it's it's not the same but yeah my dad he um, he always you know he uh, wasn't the kind of father that would toss the baseball I would get you know I'd be jealous of my of my friends next door and that but my father at the same time taught me how to paint how to be an artist, uh, not so much of the performing thing. He was not a performer. That all just came out of me. Uh, I'm a, I mean, I do my family tree on my grandmother's side is related to James Bailey, the famous, you know, Barnum and Bailey. Uh, don't know how the hell I got any showbiz uh, in me. Uh, where did that come from? 
uh, my father's cousin, his name was Teddy Connors, and Teddy was in the carny business. Uh, and uh, he actually ran girly shows, and he had his own carnival at one time, and he did a little few things in the sideshow uh, back in uh, this a long time ago. So it must have skipped a generation or went from uh, one brother to the other brother's kids. I don't know. It's confusing. But uh, my grandfather, when he was young, he worked all his life on the New Haven-Hartford railroad line. Uh, he was a train man. And when he first came back out of the, out of the Army, and uh, I think, uh, I don't know the whole story, but he was offered a job. And he took it for a few weeks with the Ringling Brothers Circus to work on their train. And my grandfather was built like an iron horse. And and even to the day he died, he would show off his freaking muscles, you know. <laughs> and uh, back in the 20s and the 30s, the big attraction on Ringling Brothers was the living statues. And they would uh, paint their bodies either gold or even the marble. They actually would have this paint that... And uh, he would balance people over their heads with one hand. And he was offered a job, but my grandmother said, no, 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 you've got a kid on the way. So he never became the performer. And uh, I think his circus life only lasted maybe a week, maybe. Uh, my grandmother was German, and she wasn't going to take it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, so basically you're saying it's been in your blood all along. And yeah, it's there. There's bits and pieces. Because you said something really interesting in there um, about a month ago when you started that answer. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Lauren. Don't don't yell at me. <laughs> well, I told you I was a bullshit artist. It's true. <laughs> but you said that um, people, when you got into it, were telling you you're not a generational performer, you're not going to do anything, you're not going to go anywhere, you can't succeed, and yet you became a ringmaster of one of the major circuses. Right. So, okay, right now, let's say fuck you to all them. You prove them wrong. But, how? <laughs> and, how did you get to that level without being a generational performer? Well, getting back to my dad. My dad and I, you know, he was the kind of father you... Uh, he doesn't. It never hit you. He yelled at you and told you you're dumb or you can't do this. And uh, but he also said, whatever you do, I don't care if you pick up elephant shit, cow shit. If you're in the, if you're gonna work painting lines on the road, you do your best. Anything you do in life, you do your best because it's gonna become a good outcome. So knowing that and knowing that my dad always thought. Mm, I don't see you being a ringmaster, especially on Clyde Beatty Cobra, the circus. Um, he knew I did it. I uh, did a lot of spot dates. It was a small circus out in New Jersey back in the late 80s. Uh, Bill Phillips had a small tent show, and uh, I was a clown. And that's how I started, was clowning and doing magic. And I did a lot of parties in the Hudson Valley. And um, he's like, Chris, I got some gigs in New Jersey. So he lost his voice. He got hoarse. And he goes, here, here's a microphone. Can you do some announcements? So my dad was there, and and uh, and I had very good friends growing up as kid. As a kid, I had Jimmy James, who was my, my predecessor. I knew him since I was a baby. He was a clown on the Beatty Show. 
and he would feed me my bottle of milk in Clown Alley. <laughs> and then years later, when he became a ringmaster, I would watch him. As a kid, there was another ringmaster named Roger Boyd, and he would sit me right next to the band on the Clyde Beatty show on a stool and tell me everything that was happening. See this? When the horses perform in the rain with nothing around them, it's called a liberty and different little anecdotes. And like I said, my dad and my mom, and my mom's still with us, and uh, my stepdad, that's actually how they met was because of the circus, and that's how my mother met my father was because of the circus, uh, the circus fan organization. And uh, and here I am... Um, and I just, I just said, whatever I do, even before I became a ringmaster full-time, I said, someday when I do it, I'm going to do it the right way. And I, that was my dream. I'm going to do it the right way, and I'm going to be the best at it. If I was going to be a clown, I was going to be the next Emmett Kelly or Lou Jacobs. Uh, Lou Jacobs, I got to meet him, the most famous clown in America, famous on the postage stamp back in the 1960s. And when you think circus, you think that beautiful cone head and that bubbly nose. And he was the nicest man that I ever met in my life. It was a great honor when I was a teenager. And I actually got to talk to him and bullshit. It was wonderful as hell. But I'm going off the beaten track, so I apologize. I, I'm I just in awe. Quite a bit. <laughs> yep. Somebody told me you need to write your book. I said, you won't keep up with it because I just ramble on and I like that but um, anyway, when I got to Roberts Brothers Circus was my first full-time gig in 1998 as a ringmaster. I left the corporate America world. I had a bad relationship with a girl. My mother and my brother, that was my only family besides my cousins and all that. And my mother's like, let's go visit a circus. So we went to... Uh, Fort Jervis and the Roberts Brothers Circus, uh, owned by the Earl family, were friends of my parents for years. And they said, you know, next year we're looking for a ringmaster. Yeah, 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 whatever. And I'm still trying to put my application into another damn manufacturing plant. Like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I said, okay, let's give it a shot. One year. And my mother was a big supporter. That's my number one fan. She says, you got to do it. And then when I came home, my brother was off in uh, summer camp at the time, and he's like, oh, you got to do this. So I did it for one year. One year went into three years on Roberts, and then uh, knowing everybody in the BD show and other circuses, it just it just happened. And um, I the first time I was on Roberts Brothers Circus, they're like, okay, you want to – they never saw me perform. They hired me because they know who I was. They knew I could do it, and they knew I was a magician and a performer, and uh, we were doing our dress rehearsal. They give me the microphone, and I did that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, and then they just like, holy shit, and I go, Ahem. I said the same thing, wow, the microphone and me loves each other, and um, when I did that, I always remember that, make love to the microphone, the microphone will love you back. And uh, there's days that I used to perform live every day. Uh, sore throat, rain, mud. I even perform in snow under a big top. That's uh, in Georgia, no less. 
Um, but the show must go on, and I, I did the best I could. And that's... I'll let you talk now. <laughs> All right. First off, Lauren, are you with me here? I am, yes. Okay, did you hear him do that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? I knew bit? that was amazing. Yeah, well... I don't care what he says, because we had him trapped now in the magic interview box. He can't leave. He's going to cut a promo for us that I'm going to use as a tag for our show. (laughs) No problem. That is unbelievable. I got got goosebumps. (laughs) Well, I do the remaster thing as a a corporate thing now. Um, I I work, I have... uh, the great thing about working for uh, where I am at Disney, I, I, I get paid every week, and I don't have to move every night with my trailer, and uh, I have power, and I, I live in a nice, comfortable house uh, in a beautiful area here in Winter Garden, and uh, every morning, once in a while, they'll put me on the, they like to call it the squawk box, <laughs> and it's just a little microphone, and it's to get the people in line to go through security, and I'll I'll do my little thing. Of course, it's more Disney-fied, but it's funny every every day. And I actually uh, did it earlier today. And people say, you know, you should be a professional announcer. And I just like, yeah, you don't know the half of it. And you're with Disney, so anytime you want, you could go to Animal Kingdom and smell elephant shit. Yeah, yeah, I can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> That's and you know, people laugh, but you know. The smells of the circus, I mean, uh, I love the Big Top Circus. I love working indoors. Uh, any performer will say, well, take the indoors because you could have air conditioning some days, some days not. But you're still in the building. You don't have to worry about mud and rain. And some of the buildings I got to perform with Shrine Circuses were nice, and, and it was cool. But the Big Top, there's something about, something magical about the tent and uh Walking an elephant ship accidentally. That's good luck, by the way. That's what the old showman said. Sure, 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 yeah. Okay, that's great luck. (laughs) I I wish for that line of luck. Yep. It's a shitty subject, but anyway, go ahead. It's true. Um, I'm, I'm a film buff. I'm a film nerd. I'm a film historian. And, you know, there's a classic early, early Ingmar Bergman film call about circus called sawdust and tinsel yep and just that title alone evokes that image of the traveling show sawdust and tinsel i mean just it's it's magical and to people like me who i was never part of the circus i was never you know i could have been in the freak show probably I had a nah, couple. You're not freaky enough. <laughs> I had a couple good freak ideas. I was going to be the flamingo boy and stand on one leg and stuff. But there you go. To me, my image of the circus was always through the Hollywood lens. Um, you know, through the Marx Brothers at the circus, through sawdust and tinsel. You know, the circus was huge in 1930s and 40s movies. All all the all the Clyde Beatty films, um, freaks. Oh, yeah. um, which a lot favorites. of people I've spoken to have said Freaks is the most accurate representation of circus life that they've yes. seen in a film. How realistic are those images we have? Or is that just glamorized Hollywood? Um, or even Fellini's La Strada, which... Well, 
is about the Most traveling of those movies, There's a lot of, like the early movies were pretty pretty accurate, especially Freaks. Uh, if it was supposed to be uh, based on a wagon show and you know, they they add a little Hollywood to it. One of my favorite movies, well, there's quite a few, uh, was Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth of Renling Brothers and Barnum Bailey back in the 50s. And a lot of people that was in that movie were circus people, and it, most of it was filmed in Sarasota. And a lot of that is right to the point. Now, of course, the train wreck in the movie, that got a little exaggerated there's certain things but it's Cecil B. DeMille so he had to make it bigger than life uh, one of my other favorite movies which is not as you know point on would have been uh, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin in Three Ring Circus I just love uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis anyway so as a kid I saw that in some old movie theater in Poughkeepsie they would run these uh kid movies around the holidays and that my dad took me there and I'm like why are you taking me to the movies well because a goddamn circus movie was on of course he's going to take me and um, so those are my favorites on the Beatty show Clive, I always call Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers the Beatty show it's an old showman thing so if I do that just bear with me it's uh, it's a circus uh, brain of mine but um, we did. they did a movie in 90 1995, before I was even on Clyde Beatty, uh, called uh, First of May, and you could actually get it online. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, Mickey Rooney's in it, probably his last movie ever did. He plays the so-called boss of the circus, and a lot of people on that are real Clyde Beatty people, and there's a few people that actually have speaking lines, and yeah, it's a little Hollywood. Hollywood's going to change it a little bit. But some of those movies, you can see that that's the real life. And um, the circus is what I always say, and I've done millions of freaking interviews, and I go, well, it's like being on vacation or camping. Uh, you come in overnight, early in the morning, you park your motor home. A lot of single people would live in sleepers, trucks, and everything like that. And your neighborhood would be a different neighborhood. Your zip code would change. But it was like camping, and the city was the big top. And your family was a very dysfunctional family. Uh, to, to survive in a circus, you try to get along with everybody. Unfortunately with me, it was head and tails. I mean, if I became too friendly, became your best friend, and we were going to drink all night, and then the next day you're the clown, and I'm going to tell you, hey, I don't like what you're doing in the show because I'm the performance director and the ringmaster, and I'm a kind of the boss of the show. Uh, the owners and the board of directors are dependent on me to make it work. You're going to take it out on me. You're going to say, well, go F yourself because last night you and I drank. And so you had to be the boss and a friend at the same time. And so it was very hard. To, the more I, I got into business and the longer I did it, I realized how to do it correctly without... Um, causing any problems and i've had fights i've had i've had uh i've had guys that and i won't mention names but there's some big animal people they didn't like the way i would come up to them i don't like this you gotta change this around they didn't like it and they would bump heads with me i actually split my nose and i had blood running down the nose 
during the show, and I still went back in the big top, and I still did my job. <laughs> now, I didn't know if I was going to have a job after that because he was ready to take off, and, you know, the animals are the big stars, and they were always the big stars of the, especially all American circus, but Clyde B.D. Brothers. And so you had those days. I'm When I first joined the circus, I drove a truck for Roberts Brothers, and then we have fluorescent light bulbs on the ticket office. We were up in Maine, and we played a lot of those campgrounds. And we're bringing the show in, and I was still new, pretty much, driving semis. Uh, you know, it was part of my deal. And I ripped some of the fluorescent light bulbs on the side of the truck, and uh, I get to the lot, park the truck, and here comes the boss, who's a good friend of the family, and I still see and talk to Um but he came and grabbed me by my by my shirt, threw my ass out the truck. He says, you never do that shit again. Learn how to drive. And so you have those moments, but you got over it. I think a circus toughens you and makes you stronger and your brain and your body. Um, and the kids, the circus kids are smart. I know so many kids. They're not in the business anymore because they grew up in the circus. Their families were so many generations. And the young generation decide they saw what was going on in the business. Some stayed in it. But I have three young kids I knew. One skin his doctrine. There's one that is a doctor. There's two young men that I just saw their parents this weekend. They both work for the Navy. One's a big, uh, big time. I don't know what his. But that is what they are they're very intelligent the kids the circus had schools we had one in the uh you know would take place in the cookhouse of the bd show and and they were homeschool and everything like that so the kids learn because the family wanted them to learn and it's up to the kids the new generation that they want to continue with the circus or not and that was the great thing i learned and it comes down to when you think circus to me it was family even though I said it was very dysfunctional, we all got along. And um, and the language barrier, I worked with performers. It makes me laugh. Uh, people say, well, you're racist. I say, I can't be racist because I worked with every culture and got along with everybody. And I know how to swear in different languages from Ukrainian to Bulgarian, mm -hmm. uh, uh, even uh, it, it doesn't matter. I know all the dirty words. Especially in the Spanish, because I had a Mexican prop crew. So, you know, I had to keep <laughs> up with them. And they would say something to me. And i say, hey, listen, Bendejo, don't talk to me like that. Oh, you know. So you had to be on the ball. And, you know, you respect the other members of the family, wherever they're from. And, you know, I became a, a big drinker in the circus because just uh, to show that I love their culture, they twisted my arm. It was so hard, I yeah. tell you. How difficult that must have been. On the, the Clyde Beatty Co. Brothers Circus, when we were really big, when I first went on the show in 2002, you had the Bulgarian section, there's trailers, and some of them were mechanics, and some of them were performers in the show. And you would have the Bulgarian Tequila, which I don't know the name of it, but it was the sweetest, most delicious drink I ever had. You go to where the Russians were, 
and the Ukrainians, and they'd be out there with the vodka. Now, I'd be walking my dog. At one time, I had a pit bull. He was a brindle. He looked like a little tiger. And hmm. I would, that was my excuse, to walk the dog at night. And after the show, we weren't traveling. Uh, so there'd be one party there. Then you go by where all the girls were. We had the girls' sleepers. And my, my, my trailer was next to them because I was Big Papa, you know, quote, quote. Um, when you're a remaster, you're the uncle, the father, the uh, psychiatrist, even though I needed one. Uh, you, you played all those hats. And we would have... You know, they wanted somebody to protect the girls. Well, I was young in those days. You got the wrong son of a bitch to protect a bunch of hot, beautiful yeah. women. But, okay. Another and difficult job. And that was job. the magic of the circus. But, uh, yeah, you would associate with everybody. And I had my, my uh, you know, it, it was it's just a different culture. I miss it every day. It's very hard, especially when the circus closed in 2015 and I had to start doing the town life. Very tough. I uh, every day. Yeah, and then the circus, like you said, the life. You, it's almost like you're a traveling musician or or a, a traveling band or, or or a traveling sports team. That right. all you have are each other, and you rely yeah. on that. And it is family. Um, it can't be any more dysfunctional than my family, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but, Mine's the same way. <laughs> I want you to put your historian hat on for a minute. Okay. And at what point do you think the circus was what it was at its absolute zenith in America? Um, do you think it was the late 1870s with Barnum, or do you think it was back into the 1940s and 50s with all the traveling shows and... The, the what the old timers would say the golden age of the circus was in the 1800s and early 1900s. Uh, that's when the uh, when, especially when Barnum and Bailey was by themselves and the Ringling Brothers who grew up in Baraboo, the Wisconsin decided to take a show out. And when those shows combined, that was in the late 1800s. Uh, during the Depression, there's all kinds of stories about the Depression in the 20s. Uh, the stories are some of the circuits folded up. A lot of circuses uh, made no money. People were homeless. They let animals off in the woods. And, and uh, most of them are not true. <laughs> uh, some of the shows did make... Yes, Rimley Brothers, they had it rough, but they still were buying other shows and buying equipment uh, to, to, to make themselves bigger. So it was a rough time in America for anything. And people would still go to the circus, but it wasn't the same. The circus picked up again in probably the mid-30s. The Golden Age was done, but it was still popular. Uh, in the 1950s, oh my God, look what they got. They got a box of a camera, and you could watch Ed Sullivan and see some circus acts. So now the 50s came, and Renling, uh they had the terrible Hartford Fire uh, in Connecticut, which was world famous, and uh, they almost closed. I mean, several times they were ready. John Renling was ready to throw in the tower, towel, and it wasn't until a few years later when uh, Cecil B. DeMille wanted to make the money, make the movie, make the money. Well, yeah. Oh, he, he wanted, wanted to make the money. Uh, 
make the movie The Greatest Show on Earth, and John Renly North, uh, the nephew, ran the show, and he saw the Hartford Fire, and they knew they needed to make some money to pay a lot of bills. Let's leave it like that, you know, with all the lawsuits even back in those days. And so the circus was on thin, thin ice, and that movie helped build them up in more ways than one. The, the name got bigger. It was big already, but now it was a household name. And that was one show that really, you know, outlasted a lot of shows next to my old show. Now, Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers Circus, that long history, it was 130, what were we, 135 when we closed up the doors in 2015. Wow. We were the oldest big top circus in America. We were the last to have the big circus street parade every day. That was in the early 60s, late 50s. Uh, that was with Clyde, uh, Clyde Beatty, the late late 50s, early 50s. Let me think now. I get this way. It's terrible. Uh, it's from all the elephant poop. That, that's right, all the elephant shit. There we go. That's going to be our tagline today. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, this, we were the last circus in America to have a sideshow on the Midway, and that folded up in 1980. That was the last year. What they wanted to do was do some indoor show dates and then gradually go outside under the big top. And uh, they wanted to, uh, the Beatty show, I skipped a lot of generations, but in the 70s, Clyde Beatty Co-Brother Circus, my ex-boss, John W. Pugh, uh, a guy who was born, Lauren would like this, born and raised in England, uh, the Pugh family, his father was Digger Pugh, famous showman in England, owned theaters around London and other places in England, and he had a bunch of showgirls that were dancers, but they also did aerial. They could work in the air, on web, trapeze, didn't matter, and they were called the Digger Pew Girls. <laughs> and how they got into America was a few circuses. Yeah, you're laughing, but it's true. And uh, circuses in America, and he had some showgirls, and he would come to England from England with these girls. And his son, Johnny, uh, was an acrobat. So my old boss started, and he was him and his partners performed some of the greatest stages in Europe and uh, and actually Clyde Beatty Co-Brothers Circus, uh, even when Clyde Beatty was still alive. Um, so my old show had a lot of history. Uh, it started off, there was no Co-Brothers. That was, uh, no, everybody thought there was a John and a Joe Cole. No, no. That actually started by a gentleman in the 1800s called W.W. W. Cole and his colossal shows, and he just liked to use that word colossal. There was everybody was coming out with the word circus, and he wanted something different because back in those days, there was 30, 40, 50 shows out there, and there was even a circus out there one time. Instead of brothers, it was sisters, and my mind's not thinking right. I can't think of the first name. It was a short-lived, small two-train, two-car train show yeah, back in the 1800s. Very interesting. Um, the first African-American showman was back in the 1800s. So young black man owned a, a circus in America, small show. I can't think of his name offhand. I, if I was 
on the phone right now with a good friend of mine, uh, another historian, a circus model builder, and a fan. His name is Rob Houston. He he dedicated all his exhibits of of all the African American performers from the old days when the circus first started, and uh, it's amazing history. It really is. Um, you could go on and on with all the stories and all the. There's so many circuses that were in this country at one time. Maybe they lasted a year, maybe two years. Uh, the lists and a lot of shows bought other shows. They bought their equipment to enhance themselves and get bigger. And uh, Cole Brothers did it. I mean, Cole Brothers Circus was ready to close. Clyde Beatty had his own circus. It was actually because of his movies that he framed a circus in California. And, of course, he had a couple parks, one park outside Miami, the Clyde Beatty's Jungle Land or Jungle Rama, whatever it was called in the 50s. And uh, he wanted his own circus. And so they could film movies such as Three Rain Circus with Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin. We go back to that. That was filmed on the Clyde Beatty Circus before Cole Brothers. And then, of course, they bought the name, took the name, and uh, the rest is history. And then we had to drop the Clyde Beatty name in 2003, 2004, and just use Cole Brothers because uh, the people that didn't like the animals in the circus, uh, they thought Clyde Beatty was the devil. <laughs> yeah, so and that, was, uh, that really is one of the major factors of the downfall of the American circus. Oh, yes. But... Before I go off on my next tangent, because I know I'm going to, Lauren, do you want to jump in? You got a question real quick? Um, no, no, no questions. I'm just enjoying listening to it all. It's fantastic. All right, because you're ready you for this. must the... be drinking on the other line. <laughs> uh, you know, they do that in the UK. But... Yeah, that's all right. My, my mother's, my whole mother's family is all Welch and... and uh, that, that's why my old boss, he's like, I like your mother because she's got English in her. I said, okay, boss. Yep, that's lower in uh, Swansea, Wales. Yep, from Swansea, yep. So, Very cool. Before I go on my tangent, I, I do have to say this because I told Lauren I was going to ask this. This might run you off, but you, you started as a clown. Why do clowns scare the shit out of so many people? <laughs> you know, actually when... Um, it's it's weird. Uh, the new generation, um, I, I grew up in the 60s, late 60s, because I'm not that old. But anyway, you know, I grew up with Bozo the Clown on TV. Everybody loved a clown when I was a kid. Yeah, Halloween, you would have the makeup and you had nice costumes of the crappy polka dots. And, the, and that was a big thing right up to the 80s and early 90s. And I think a lot of it is due to the media today. I blame a lot on the media with what's going on in the world and, and the paranoia. And, of course, changing the traditions of this great country that we live in. But, you know, there's a lot of those movies. One of my favorite movies is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, wonderful but film. I don't think... I don't think that fucking helped. That and, and it, you know, Stephen King's, especially with... Tim Curry, oh my God, you know, or oh, little boy, would you like a balloon? I mean, that's great uh, to me. 
But some people, they were kids when it came out, and they, oh, my God. Yeah, poltergeist. Yeah, you know, when, oh, yeah, that's right, with the dummy, yep, with the ventriloquist dog. When I was a kid, we didn't have that. And I see it more, actually, my brother's fiance would probably kill me if she was here. But she is uh, definitely afraid of clowns, and she's gotten better. Because she has no choice. My brother used to be a clown. They're going to get married. So, you know, there we go. He might not wear the rubber boot, the rubber <laughs> shoes to bed, but. But he will knows? wear the nose to bed. Too. I don't want to know. He <laughs> <laughs> wears the red nose. But uh, I, <laughs> I know some of my exes, they said, Do you leave that clown crap in the trunk? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Um, but I have a collection of clown stuff. And um, uh, yeah, she, she'll come into the room because I. This uh, The spare bedroom is my office, my computer, my circus room, my art room where I paint. My uh, I do have my gym, which I don't really use. The crap is over there in the corner. Um, but, yeah, so she'll come in here because uh, she's big into art. And she goes, okay, I was in the room more than uh, three minutes. I got to go now because she gets a little antsy, and I understand. Um, but... Yeah, and, and I think I was telling you once when we talked before on Halloween, I was just looking for a simple kid's Halloween costume to actually make a mannequin. Uh, I, um, I have a big Christmas display, and one of the things in my display is I have a circus wagon I built for Santa Circus. So I have the elephant, he lights up, I have a llama out there, I got the, the uh, Santa Claus as a remaster, and I just wanted to make a, a clown, and I was going to build it myself, and I couldn't, I went online, I went to all the stores, everything is creepy clowns, creepy clowns. Even for an infant, baby clown outfit was black and white with blood stains. <laughs> Who in the hell is going to put their baby in a costume like that? Now, if you do that, that's your, your, your decision. That's all cool and everything. But, you know, it's, and, and that's why I say it's, we're, we're controlled by the media, we're controlled by big corporate America, and, and it's not just America, everywhere. And it's a, it's a shame, uh, but there is a lot of people that are afraid of those damn clowns. Well, and also, don't forget, there are a lot of people out there afraid of rodents, but your boss is a rodent now, so. That's right. They can and be lovable. A, a mouse. And to me... Clowns were the guys that gave me cheeseburgers when I was a little kid. That's it. And I don't mean it's... John Wayne Gacy. I mean, <laughs> I mean Ronald. But but I got to go back because you said something that just, you, you probably saw my face light up when you mentioned the sideshow. Yes. Because to me, that is the poor, my obsession and interest in the circus was always the sideshow. Um, but going back to its its UK roots and its European roots of, you know, uh, uh, penny shows and and waxworks and then coming into America in medicine shows or dime museums or ten and ones, all the way up to the human oddity side shows, and you know the sideshow itself was killed by for lack of a better term, do-gooders who said, you know, people are being exploited and this isn't right and we got to ban it. Much to the dismay of 99% of the performers 
who were right. like, um, this is our career. This is what we do. What else are we going to do for a living? So stop being a do-gooder. But it's beside the point. I'm a little bitter on that, as you can tell. You, like you said, yours was the last circus with an actual traveling sideshow. And when we were talking uh, initially, when we first um, hooked up to set this up, you had mentioned a name of one of the most legendary sideshow performers in American history that you were quite good friends with. Yes, I, I was very lucky to be friends with the king of the sideshow, the legendary Ward Hall. And folks, uh, if you don't know Ward Hall, look him up online. The oh, yes. He is a legend. Oh, he was the best. And a great gentleman right to the day he passed on. He would come and visit the circus. He always wore a suit when he came on the show. Of course, the suit probably was more of a really, uh, you know, he was a showman. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just a plain, ordinary suit. He always had to have, he always had the, uh, the uh, oh, the flower. He had the flower in the tube, in the label. Uh, and uh, he always had bright colors, shirts, beautiful ties. He would always have a nice hat on. He was truly the last of the great showman gentlemen, and he would tell you stories that would make you blush, cry, and piss your pants at the same time. <laughs> they were so wonderfully funny, and he started his career in the circus as a young boy on the old Daily Brothers Circus, and then he ended up with, he uh, did a lot of stuff with the sideshow industry. So... I always loved him because he really, uh, you know, I was a nobody when I was younger, when I first came into the business. And when he first met me, he's like, ah, oh, Mr. Connors, this is the legend in the making. And that's what he used to say to me. I'd be in the business maybe two years when I first met him on Roberts Brothers. Wow. And it just grew bigger and bigger. And uh, his partner and, and a good friend of mine who's still alive, Chris Christ, Another wonderful gentleman in the sideshow business and continues the world of wonders. Sideshow still works a lot of the fair dates. Um, it's not the same without Ward, but there's still, you know, they have people that Ward trust and they learn by Ward and Chris. And one of my favorite little people, and I, I could do a whole story about little people, dwarfs, uh, but uh, Poobah, little Pete, Poobah uh, worked with uh, Ward Hall most of his life. Um, he was a little person. He ate fire. He could do the blockhead stuff. And uh, right to the day he passed on, he was quite old for a dwarf. And he was one of the, he was in the movie The Wizard of Oz as one of the munchkins. So I got to know him. Uh, another little person I grew up as a kid, I was just a young kid, a clown named Shorty Hinkle. He was a dwarf clown. And Shorty was the other person I knew that was in the movie The Wizard of Oz as a munchkin. So I was honored to know these two great little guys. And then I got to work years later with a bunch of other uh, little guys from from all over the, the world. Uh, I love the little people. I really do. Um some people look at them and stare, and and I, I'm just amazed with their personality, and some of them could be mean, <laughs> but I guess 
if you grew up all your life as that, you're going to have that, you know. And um, But with the so let's come get away from the whole subject of the sideshow. Ward Hall taught me a lot about, uh, about the different stories. And there's so many stories I can't even remember. It's not even, I can't I really repeat some of them because it's not, if I don't know them exact, I hate to screw it up in his memory. But I love the sideshow. I love the pit shows. And um, like this, when we had a snake show on Roberts Brothers, and I got to work with a couple other little shows doing a bally. And I like doing the ballys. Looky, looky, looky. Come on down. One dollar, one dollar. Come on. It's all alive on the inside. You know, see Princess Serpentina, the queen of the Nile. She will wiggle and jiggle away into your heart. She's all alive on the inside. A gigantic anaconda will surround her body. So I love that stuff. And uh, I get people going if I'm at work and I'm on the microphone, there's no guests. And they go, looky, 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 it's all alive. And they're going, you shut up, Chris, will you? I love that stuff. I'm also friends with another the a modern sideshow guy named John Strawn, and uh, he he does a lot of stuff out there. He's always thinking bigger and bigger, and he's got to get... So that aspect is still alive, but not the same. Every And it's just like everything in, in the, the country. TV's not the same. I miss the stuff I grew up on, you know, and um, they say change is good. Is it? I don't know, but... It's funny you, you talking about the, the sideshow people. Uh, one of the first shows we ever did, we were able to get Todd Robbins to come on. Oh, yes, I met Todd, yeah. And he said something about the sideshows disappearing because of the do-gooders and their claim that the people were being exploited. And he pointed out that all show business is exploitation. Whether yeah. you're being stared at because you're beautiful and a movie star, or whether you're being stared at because you're three feet tall or eight feet tall, or because you breathe fire or because you sing beautifully, it's all exploitation. And I don't think yes. people realize that, that it's show business. Now, granted... Right. There are cases uh, where people might not have the mental capabilities of making those decisions. That's a gray area. I understand not wanting that to be put on display. But most sideshow performers are performers. It's show business. Yep. And it and yeah. it was and it's that's another lost art form. Thankfully there's still a few shows still around and People appreciate them. You'll see documentaries every now and again popping up and new shows and new generations. And I mean, look at it uh, just in the 90s when the, the, the Jim Rose thing became part of the yep. Lollapalooza tour. I, lo I love when that first came out. They, oh, something new and different. Yeah. There's nothing new and different. It's just be reinvent reinvented. It's being revisited. Um, Everything has, I was told by an old showman, Chris, especially when I clown, all clown gags are the same. There's always an opening, a blow-off, in boom, bam. And every gag could be done the same way. It's just the way you present it. And you're, you're, not, you're, not, uh, you're not doing anything new and different. 
you just presented your way. When I and I took that to heart when I became ringmaster. I could do it where my predecessor told me how to do it, my my mentors told me how to do it. I just listened to three different gentlemen and I took it upon myself. This is how I want to do it. I was very good friends. My my big brother <laughs> in the circus ringmaster world, Billy Martin, he's from your neck of the woods, uh, Oswega. He had uh, Billy Martin's Cole Old Star Circus to play schools, and they also do a lot of shrine dates. And he still lives up in upstate New York. Um, Billy, I loved his approach of being ringmaster. I grew up uh, talking to him, BSing when he'd be announcing on the microphone. So then I had my mentor. Uh, that put my parents together, so the great John Harriet, famous family, the Harriets in the American circus, he could train any animal, the greatest animal, a real true equestrian, but he taught me the nitty-gritty of being a ringmaster. And I was very fortunate to know these guys. Um, and I just went off the damn page again, because I was going to talk about uh, Sideshow more. But I just want to throw those things in. Uh, I love it. Um, but the, maybe the most famous family and richest performers in the sideshow business because of their appearance was the Dahl family. Harry and his family, the midgets. That uh, And back in, well, you can't use that word today, so I apologize to people. But back in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, right up to... Politically correct, which happened in the late 80s. I always say that's what that's what happened to America when we went PC. It's not funny anymore. Um, I respect not being mean, hateful to people. I do not promote any of that stuff. I don't hate people. I might dislike you, and I'm going <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> but so you can't use that word. But they were famous. The Dahl family. Harry, and we were talking about the movie Freaks. He was in the movie Freaks. He's the little guy that fell in love with the, with the big, beautiful girl. Oh, please, you love me. And you know, my favorite scene is One of Us. One, one of, of Us. us. Google Gobble. Oh, God, I love that goddamn movie. I just saw it before, uh, last month, I guess. Um, but, yeah, he, he was a rich little son of a gun and his whole family all his sisters and when they were on the Ringling show they built the heck out of them um, because they were very proud of that family he had a nice place uh, at, down in Sarasota back in the in the day so you know it's like they I understand the good the, the do-getters they, they feel bad for people like that but at the same time you put yourself in that space that spotlight you want to be there you you don't mind the people looking at you if you go to the EMP the Grand Union back in those days now it's well down here we have Publix but um, you go in the supermarket they're gonna look at you even if you're in a wheelchair if you're on crutches people are looking at you yep and it's the negativity is when they make fun of you put down you and 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 that stuff but when you're in the sideshow, when you're in the circus and you're presenting and you're a performer, you're there because you want to be there. And I think that was sad when a lot of people lost 
work with that. And, um, and, and that's what people don't realize. You could go around saying, oh my goodness, shouldn't be animals in the circus. Look what they do with the elephants and look how they... Most of the animals in the, this past 50 years were all born and raised right here in America. Um, grabbing animals from uh, other countries, well, there's been a ban on that since the 80s. So, uh, and I know for a fact, a lot of elephants that were born either in Florida or out in Oklahoma, uh, and uh, a lot of good people uh, that born and raised tigers as well, too. And I'm losing my voice. I'm going to grab some water. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, we're talking about uh, Harry, uh, Harry Earls of the Doll family, that he was a power player, not only in the circus and the sideshow, but this is a guy who... He was in the Unholy Three with Lon Chaney Sr., uh, mm-hmm. the original and the remake, the talking remake with Lon, the only Lon Chaney Sr. talking film, um, which Todd Browning directed. And it was Harry Earls who took the story Spurs to Todd Browning and said, we should make this into a movie. And that movie became Freaks. Yep. So it was Harry, and then he was also in The Wizard of Oz. He was one of the Lollipop Guild. Yep. He he worked in Hollywood till he died. And, you know, I don't think it would have been a better life for him if someone came along when he was in his 20s and said, oh, we can't put you on display, it's just wrong. Yeah. You know, I... I remember an interview with a sideshow performer who lost their job when the sideshows closed who was an armless, legless wonder. And he said, okay, I have no arms and no legs and I made more money than you did in my previous job. What am I going to do now? Who's going to hire me to do what? Right. Um, Wow, we just got sad, didn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of sad... Um, for those of you listening who don't know, we were actually introduced to each other through Brent and Rodney West, um, the West brothers of wrestling fame who come from another form of sideshow, which sprung from the sideshow wrestling came out of the circuses and carnivals. Oh yes. And you know, they're the ones who introduced us and said, you got to talk to this guy for your show. It'd be great. They left the wrestling business to go into the circus business. Do you consider those two lifestyles the same? I mean, essentially, wrestling is a form of the circus, is it not? Oh, it definitely is. Any type any type of, especially wrestling, it's really showmanship. It is athleticism. A lot of people say, is it phony? It's not real, all that stuff. It is real. They get hurt. There's cuts and everything. Is it planned the way they're going to do it? Well, most of the time it is. It's a it's a show. At least and, the ending is, yeah. Yeah, and um, but Brett and and Rodney and their dad, who passed on, uh, Ron. Ron was involved uh, wrestling as a referee. He did it all, manager and and promoter. And they came to work for the Cole Brothers Circus as marketing directors and. Um, I love those guys. They that's uh, that's the other family I don't see anymore. I think that's the hard part about not being on the road. But those guys, they treat the circus just you know. It's funny because they would promote the circus like you promote a wrestling event because it's the same. 
It's absolutely the same thing. You're going to go into town. I got Big Brutus, the big guy that's going to kick the shit out of this other wrestler. Well, over here in the circus, I got the biggest elephant you ever saw with two girls riding on top. It's the same. You're going to promote it as big as possible. And those guys are wonderful. And I, I, I miss seeing them. It was so true. Um, and years later, my brother joined me on the circus. His uh, ex, one of his exes was my senior ring hostess at one time. And uh, my brother was in the office. So he was one of the big shots in the office. And also was uh, one time the road manager at nighttime, made sure the tent comes down, all that fun stuff. Um, but he would go, well, you know what town's going to be? What town's the next town? The West Town. Every time either Ron West had a town hmm. or the boys had a town, it was considered a West Town. It didn't matter. The other marketing directors, all wonderful guys and gals that I worked with for the years, and they worked the hell out of me, so they all owe me. <laughs> so I could talk shit because they used to wake me up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go do a goddamn radio interview after two hours sleep. But anyway... Um, but they're all wonderful. Uh, Rodney and Brett, especially, uh, and their father, they always made sure the ringmaster and any of the performers, if you did media, we went to breakfast. And it wasn't, you know, drive through at McDonald's or uh, a bad cup of coffee at a gas station like other marketing directors. You went <laughs> you, you went to Golden uh, Crackle Barrel. You went Waffle House. Uh, Waffle House is okay. So... That's how they treated us. They respected us, and a lot of times they knew it was tough. It is tough uh, being a performer, and I used to have to fight with other performers. I'm sorry, do you realize this benefits the circus? And these guys, they went through this shit with wrestling because the wrestlers are the same way. Yep. They would tell me stories how these big superstars were big pains in the ass because they didn't want to do a certain interview. So... When they came into it, of course they were great at it. Yeah, and, and, and it shows. It shows that the circus does live on. Um, yes. It might not be in a tent. It might not be under the big top, but it lives on. I mean, all these things, the, the, the traveling wrestling shows, it's all derivative of the circus. And, you know, it's, it's funny. There's a, there's a movie that's about wrestling. Uh, called The One and Only mm -hmm. with Henry Winkler. Great movie. Hervé Villachez and Henry Winkler. And there's a scene where he's on the road, his first road tour as a wrestler, and it's supposed to be in the 50s, and he's very depressed because he's left his wife at home. And it so rings true not only to a circus performer, but... A wrestler or any kind of traveling performer and you must have lived this Henry Winkler in his bout of depression looks at Hervé Villages and says and the circus came to town do you know what that means the circus left another town and that just to me sums up how tough a life it must have been that you are a wandering gypsy. How, how do you as the ringmaster, I mean, you not only got to be a top performer, but you kind of got to keep everybody else's spirits up in a situation like that. 
How difficult was that? It it, it drove me crazy. It really did. There was days, you know, it's less like, okay, I had enough of this shit, time to retire. Um, Or or my other excuse was, I I quit, I'm going to go to another show. I'm going to go indoors. I'm going to (laughs) go... And and it never happened, obvious. And uh, there was a couple times I was ready to pack my shit and move and move off the lot. And it was a tough life, especially. There's times I wish I just had a car and lived in a sleeper on the show. But uh, my first few years I did, but then I had to be the big guy. I had to have my own big RV and the whole thing, and that cost more money and the upkeep and. Um, if I ever did it again, I would buy a nice trailer, small pool trailer and truck, um, and maybe made my life a little easier. But uh, yeah, it's tough. You got to be very strong. When I first started, I don't know how the hell I did it, because I was just a what's the word, pussy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like uh, I was like, holy shit, what the hell? And um, Roberts Brothers. Part of my money, besides performing, I had to put up the the uh, midway. So I had to put up the marquee, take care of the snake show, go uh, pull out the novelties, put up the novelty tent, open the windows of the ticket office and the candy wagon, and you know I would have I would get steak uh, steak bites we used to call it. You hammer the steaks, those old metal steaks, that because of all the extra ridging on the end of them would cut your freaking legs, my legs be bleeding and everything. I'm like, son of a gun. I didn't have the shit when I was uh, in manufacturing, you know. <laughs> if I had a little paper cut, ouch, I'm out of work for a day. Uh, so it's a sweat and uh, and the mud and all that stuff. And I kept at it for over 20 years. It's hard to believe. I, I'll tell you. It was supposed to be. Yeah, I'll tell you now, folks, because this is audio only, you can't see him. We're on video. We could see each other. And even when he was talking about how tough it was and how the times are tough and the road is tough and what I do, there's a gleam in your eye that you could see the love. Um, Even when you're talking about the bad things, there's just this look of nostalgia on your face that you could tell, yeah, times might have sucked at times, but I love loved every freaking minute of it. I I could to this day I could talk to anybody that's either brand new in the business or old timers that were on the real old time circuses, you know, on the train shows, the old Rindling shows in the fifties, sixties, seventies. Doesn't matter. If you really love it, you're gonna you're gonna feel it for the rest of your life. It's not gonna go away. And in some of these young kids and before I and I still do some uh, special events, and I, uh, I'll perform with some uh, wonderful young people that went to circus schools to become, you know, work on Lyra's. And they're 18, 90, 19-year-old girls, and they go, oh, this is so wonderful meeting you and everything. But, you know, you're like, ah, yeah, whatever, kid, you know. And uh, But I look in their eyes, I'm going, wait a minute, you got something. I don't care how goddamn good you are on the trapeze. That's good for the audience. For yourself, it's right here. If you have that sparkle, if you have that smirk, that heart beats, that you love doing it, that's what you need. Because the circus is a life. It's not a job. It's not a profession. People say, my profession is ama. Well, it is. Okay? The people that want to sit in their computers and say, okay, uh, 
it's as a profession. It's a lifestyle. Uh, I think I told you that I went to college when I was younger, and uh, I studied uh, broadcasting first, kind of gave up on it. And then when I worked for the bank industry, I uh, they pushed me through um, business and marketing. So I learned all that stuff. So I would do interviews as a ringmaster, and they'd go, Mr. Connors, what the hell did you do with your marketing degree, uh, your degrees in college? I said, Christ's sakes, I use it more now on the circus than I ever did working on a manufacturing line on a big corporation that's kind of not the big one anymore. We'll just leave it like that. And so, um, yeah, because you use your marketing skills uh, to promote the show. I learned to be a promoter. I used to book circuses before I ran away with them. I used to market the circus before I ran away and, and became a ringmaster. I was an advanced clown. I would go to towns as a clown to promote the show, go to schools, nursing homes, it didn't matter, malls, and uh, push the circus was coming. So all that I learned in college didn't go to a rate a waste. Uh, yeah, I probably could have been a big-time marketing director, maybe for Disney or something else, but I chose the big top because... Uh, Actually, I didn't choose the big top. It chose me. Because that's where your heart was. Yep. Now we got to get depressing. Uh-oh. Go ahead. The downfall of the American circus. Now, a lot of people, and I think historians look at it now and say it was the animal rights movement. It was the treatment of the animals. And... You know, I'm sure there were examples, you probably witnessed examples or knew of examples of animal cruelty. But like but like sideshows, I think 90% of it was not. There was right. probably, you know, there's the bad element, but most of it was, was not and was wrongly charged. And when the big circuses, uh, especially Ringling Brothers, caved and said no more animals, that was pretty much it but i don't think people realize it was already dying at that point do you yeah. think it was for lack of i don't want to just blanket statement say the internet but the absolute amount of entertainment at your fingertips like you said in the 50s the television box and ed sullivan put such a huge dent in the circus until they reinvented itself to give you something else. But now you're talking the 1990s, when it started to drop down, or 2000s. You had the internet, you had television, you had movies, you had every form of entertainment available instantaneously in your home. Do you think that was more a result of the downfall or the animal thing? I mean, which one do you think it was? The down, the actual downfall of the American circus, well, the size show, the big shows. Now, there's still a lot of great shows out there right now. Yeah. Uh, Fernando Circus, a small red and white big top show, a former ringmaster. Uh, no animals on the circus, but it's a small tent. Uh, my friend Justin Loomis has Loomis Brothers, tigers, elephants. They play indoors. They do uh, outdoor tent shows, but they're not big. The big circus is because of the economy. Uh, my When I work for Clyde Beatty Cobra Brothers Circus, we had 50 trucks 
and then you had the personal trailers and the animals. It got everything comes down to the dollar. Um, it was harder to book the show into a town. The towns had new zoning. They don't want animals in this this town. But the town over, you can, but you can't find a spot for to put a big top that big. Um, yes, the animal rights people had a lot to do with it because they scared the towns. They scared, like we used to play malls. Going back to what I was saying, Clyde Beatty started doing in the 1970s, uh, start marketing the circus for a lot of malls. And they played a lot of malls in New York State. Um, and that was a new thing. And they would set up the big top and the malls were excited. They would have elephant races when I was a kid in the 80s. Uh, famous radio personality. Then all of a sudden, and we're going back and forth, so bear with me. So all of a sudden in the late 80s, we start seeing PETA coming in. And at first, the sad thing is, they wanted to... They weren't against the circus in the beginning. They were more to, to make sure animals were not abused, period. When animals are in these little, you know, uh, camps where they born the dogs and, and, you know, oh, the dog catcher, the way they treat them and people with, they don't know how to treat their animals, they throw them. And that, that's how, and I know a lot of circus people with animals, a lot of them that became members and put money in this organization because they thought they were doing good. Farms with horses that were dying they need. And then all of a sudden it turned. It turned overnight that they uh, they were after the circus. Now, in any profession good or, there's good and bad. There's good people and bad people. I personally was very help, happy to work with some great people. And I was on the biggest show with a lot of eyes on it. So we did not fuck around when it came to the animals. The animals were our bread and butter, and we knew it. People came to see the circus because of the animals. They came to see the elephants. Elephants is the biggest drawing. You could have shit in the big top. You could have a clown and a girl naked on the trapeze, but you have an elephant, that's all they want to see. And they still want to see it. I saw it this weekend. We had an elephant down in Sarasota. The people like, is there an elephant here? Go right in the back. They still want that. Anyway, anyway going up the beaten track, track, I apologize. No, you're um, right. But I've heard stories. Yes, there's people in the past. And you were, when we're talking about the past, we're talking about the 60s and the 50s when... Back in the old days, they did not know how, nobody knew how the, they treated the animal as a wild animal, you know. And if it got out of, out of line, they whacked them. Okay. But in the modern day, that's a no-no. And our show, we, were, we had the guidelines. Every town we went to, we had, I called the dog catcher would come. And a lot of times, that's all they were. They were, you know... USDA and all they ever saw was a damn dog or a house kitty and then they see this big ass pussy the tiger and they go oh I guess that's how it looks but we had a and, and that's going back to the economics this is where I'm going at every time somebody came to inspect the animals or the big top because we had a, we had inspections 
and it wasn't five dollars it was a thousand dollars to get some fat son of a bitch on the lot to look at as the horse is fed okay and that's the downfall it's the dollar a uh, downfall of a lot of shows the Ringling Circus what hurt that the most was the train it cost a lot of money they had two big shows and two large trains I was good friends with a gentleman who was a train master and uh, treated me very well great guy and he even said that that was that was what's killing uh, the business and it all depends with the government the government is hungry for money they're always hungry for money um, and a lot of these towns I had to go into towns we had one town I can't remember what state the new thing was you had to pay a permit just to have the animals parked on the lot it probably was a ridiculous amount of a hundred dollars or something but because we had a trailer with elephants we had a trailer of tigers we had a another hundred dollars just to let them park on on that lot and then you bring people out and of course our show with a long history if we had an animal that was sick we had a vet we always had vets in different areas and there was some vets that knew their way around elephants and uh and tigers and that but it was easier if there were dogs that got sick but uh and uh, we always had that stuff in the office we had all the documentation all the paperwork of each and every animal we were inspected all the time every day sometimes we'd be in a town for four days four days and it'd be another inspection well why are you coming on the last day well we just want to see how and it wasn't just animals it was this big top uh we would play connecticut i love connecticut my stepfather's from bridgeport he, I think he was Bardem's one of his freaks. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, my God, they had a terrible fire in the 50s. They need to get the fuck over it. I tell you, when you have a tent circus in Connecticut, you're screwed. You're going to pay all the yin-yang to put up the big top just to have a circus. I understand they're still afraid that's going to happen. The tents today are not like the tents back in the old days. You had that old goddamn canvas, which was no good. Uh, today it's fire, uh, fire repellent, uh, vinyl, and some of the newer tents. Uh, there's a circus called Garden Brothers. They have a brand new tent, huge, gorgeous freaking tent. I don't know how the hell you could put it up all the time. Um, but anyway, over there, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And they used to run the fire holes around the big top. To me, that's a safety issue. During the show, they would fill it up with water. So you would have people, they had to come out of the emergency exit. And we had the butchers, you know, sell popcorn that. They used to have to jump over the fire holes. How's this uh, safety for anybody? Uh, but, you know, and like I said, there'd be permits. you got to file permits. And if you're off something, if they didn't like the way the chairs are set up in the tent, they find you. And it wasn't $10, it's $1,000. So, and the insurance, here we go again. The insurance on a circus, a tent circus, my mentor, Johnny Harriet, I said, someday I'm going to have my own circus. And he would say, don't put it under a goddamn tent. It will cost you a fortune. And it's true. 
there's a lot of shows that play indoors because a lot of the arenas have their own insurance. You just got to cover your end of performers and animals. Um, it's completely different, and it's 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 the way the world is. We're we gotten so big that so many people want to be rich, 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 and the government's the worst. They want more money, more money, more money. Um, and that's what hurt a lot of business, not just the circus. Uh, a lot of these big malls, look at their, a lot of them are vacant because they just wanted more money. Just on a, It used to be a little KB toy store over there, but the rent's so high, nobody wants to be in that spot. And, and that's... That's what happened with the circus. I, I truly believe, yes, the animals, we got tired of hearing people picketing us. Um, damn PETA, I tell you, I I love what they do. They Anybody that has a, a reason to be out there, I really do feel strongly about something. I'm not knocking you. That's all up to you. But you need to see the truth before you knock something. Now, I am no doctor. I'm a ringmaster. Um, if I, I'm not going to say, well, you know, you don't look too well. Well, I'm going to get a, an opinion. I'm not going to tell you you don't look cool. You have people that would come to the circus, never even seen the circus, never even seen the animals, and just go out front and say, don't go in there. You don't know what they do. I, I used to wear <laughs> a traditional circus ringmaster outfit. Hundreds of years behind that. High riding boots, the white pants, the top hat, the tails. And one day I was coming out of my trailer in between the show and activists were right outside the trailer. And they don't give a shit. They, 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 they don't look at that as your, it's your home. They have no respect for that. But if you did it at their house, that's mm, a that's, that's totally different, yeah. <laughs> and uh, one time I remember this guy goes, there's that son of... And we were still Clyde Beatty, okay? At that time, this is 2002. Clyde Beatty's dead and gone. And he, he he's going... There's Clyde Beatty, that son of a bitch. Let's get him. I'm like, Clyde Beatty? Holy Christ. Get, you don't know your history. You don't even know what you're doing out here. But like I said, everybody, it's America. Uh, everybody has a, a voice of opinion. And uh, you have your freedom. And But like I said, to me, the whole thing comes down to the mighty dollar. And I went off the track, and I'm sorry. I no, you didn't. That's you did not. You you put it in a perspective that I didn't even think of. That a traveling show with that many people and that many animals and that much equipment, just the travel expense alone must be astronomical. Oh, yes. And now, you're dealing in a time where it's not a city's only form of entertainment for a year. You know, Back in the day, 100, 200 years ago, that circus coming to town was the one event those people got all year, so everyone went to it and the money was there. Right. It's not like that now. No. Uh, once TV, well, actually, once the movies, once they start building more of the, the old word movie houses, uh, the circus kind of slowed down a little bit. I mean, they were still out there, but they weren't as big. Uh, you know, schools would shut down back in the days with the street parade, and they would go and see the city that travels by night was my line I use uh, in my interviews. And they made a whole, ho it was a holiday. You had Christmas, you had your birthday, and you had Circus Day. 
And that's what the kids always remember. I knew this guy when he was, he passed on, he was 98 years old when he passed on, old-time circus fan that lived in uh, Maryland. And he started out as a kid helping Hagenbach Wallace Circus watering the elephants. They had about 30-something elephants. And he played hooky from school, and they say, hey, kid, you want a job? And he got to water the elephants, took the buckets to the elephants. And he says, I will remember that to the day I die. He says that was the greatest thing. He, you know, never really worked on the circus after that. He did a few things as a young guy, um, but he always remembered that. And then I would just sit there going, holy shit, you were in Hagenbach Wallace. That was a big show. They had a lot of big shows in the, in the old days. Right up into the 1900s, just around the Depression is when the shows start smaller. Um, our show, perfect example, Clyde Beatty. We dropped the Clyde Beatty title. We got a uh, back in 2004. We just said Cool Brothers Circus. We didn't have as many performers on the show. The trailers. We still try. We still put on a big show, um, but it wasn't like it was. Uh, 2011, we got rid of two towers, made the tent a little smaller. It wasn't to jip the people. It wasn't to, we didn't want to be big anymore. It was, where the hell are you going to put a tent this size? And how are you going to travel? And like I said, this, this other show that I know these guys, and I got, they're wonderful guys. I don't know how the hell they do it, but that tent, I've seen pictures. It's huge. Where the hell are you going to put it in today's world? Um... You really can't move something like that. And and I, my old boss, God bless him, John Pugh, I tell you, he was he started as a performer. He became a general manager he, most of his life on the on Cole Brothers, the Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers Circus, and he became the owner and the CEO. Um, he always, to the day we, we ended the show, he always had, always told me, think outside the box. And you do anything to keep the show going. If anything comes up, if we had, like, there's times that going back to permits and that, oh, we got to wait for another inspector before you open a tent. So then, okay, I've, I've held the show sometimes an hour or two with people <laughs> in the midway because a damn inspector, oh, we got to wait for Marty. Marty knows, Marty knows all kinds of stuff about big tops because... His uncle used to have trees under a tent for Christmas. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm rambling on. And, uh, you know, the people, they, you know, they get ir irritated with that very fast. Um, and, uh, you know, I have, I do Facebook. It keeps my, my mind alive with the circus. I have two pages uh, one on the Mud Shows and one on the on the Beatty Show and uh, Clyde Beatty Co. Brothers Circus, a whole history. Um, a lot of old-time performers, a lot of alumni, a lot of circus fans and uh, that joined the groups. And I over the weekend, I had, <laughs> I had more traffic of people that just want to come up to me and say, you know what, I love your new page. You're showing all these tent shows that we haven't seen in years where the hell do you get all this stuff and there's a lot of material that getting back to my dad oh my god i have so much crap here i got thousands <laughs> of posters 
photos. I talked to this young lady in Sarasota the other day. I have uh, about seven or 800 slides, box slides, not even individual, boxes of slides. One of these days we're going to convert them into DVD because uh, she even told me that that film's going to be very bad soon. It's, some of it's probably no good now. Then I got old 8mm uh, movies, and I don't know, but my father had one, and I don't think it's his. And on there it says 1920-something uh, on the Sells Floto Circus. And that was another big railroad, railroad show back in the day. Um, and it's like, damn, I better start converting this stuff because that's history that's history we don't have and you know it's history we you know should be proud of i mean it was something that it made millions of people smile and there might be millions of people that don't like it but everybody has an opinion um but the american circus especially the big top circus uh, uh that was a tradition just like baseball and hot dogs and mom's apple pie. I used to say that as a line, you know, the tradition of the big top. Up there with America's traditions of baseball, mom's apple pie and the hot dogs. Here comes the elephants. <laughs> they, they were the tradition. It was. I had to do that, sorry. No, I, I, I'm, I'm in awe. Um, but we have hit the hour and a half mark, so we're going to wrap okay. up because I already went o over a half hour longer, and I told you we were going to go. It was that, um, I know. You have to tell me to stop. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> terrible. I didn't want you to stop. I, and I'm like, uh, I told him an hour, and it's been an hour and a half. Should I tell him? But you've been so gracious with your time. Will you give us five more minutes just for the rapid fire question round? Three questions sure. that are going to be easy to answer. Right. One. Question number one, please tell us you'll come back on the show again. Sure, sounds great. I enjoyed it. Question number two, please, please tell us you are going to write that book. <laughs> I, I have to sit my lazy ass down and, and, and start doing the book. I, I actually want to do two books, one of my life, and actually I want to do a book that nobody's done and I don't know why. But the history of the remaster in the American circus, and I got a lot of information from a lot of the greats, and, and it really needs to be done. I keep telling myself, I actually told my my ex-partner, Bonnie Bale, her dad was a remaster, besides being an animal trainer for many shows. Anyway, she was one of my, uh, uh, I don't like to say assistant, but she was the other, the Cole remaster when I first came on the Beatty show. And, I, and she goes, well, you better sit your ass down and start writing it because I do have a lot of information. So uh, I need to do that. You do. Go ahead. with The <laughs> The third and final question. Sure. Maybe the toughest one of the night. Pluto, is it a planet or not? It's a cartoon dog. I see this <laughs> son of a bitch every day at work. <laughs> Lauren gets so bad at me for asking that. And, That's and it. Lauren, speaking of Lauren, Lauren, jump in before we before we sign off. You have anything? Any questions? Anything you want to yes, say? Yes, I anything? do. Um, what was the name of your favorite elephant to work with? Favorite elephant to work with. I yeah. worked with so many elephants. But there was this old elephant when I first worked on Robert's Brothers Circus called Boo. We called her the Mighty Boo. She was a big, big son of a gun. Uh, her uh, 
one of her relatives in the elephant family was uh, Big Tommy, and Big Tommy became King Tusk on the Ringling Show in the 80s and 90s, and they built the whole show around him, Big Tusk. And, but uh, Boo was the first elephant I got to be around. She was a bigger-than-life, big old dog. I saw her on another circus after Robert's clothes, and they, they took the elephant. I went to visit a show, and the young kid says, Oh, stay away from the elephant. Well, he didn't know who I was. She came running over to me. She put her trunk on my shoulder, and she made that chirpy noise. Elephants, <laughs> it's like a lovely noise. They go, I don't know how the hell to make it right now. Uh, and, uh, yeah, she was a sweetheart. Uh, uh, I love her to death. And uh, she's still alive. She's retired, living the good life out in Oklahoma. Fantastic. That's brilliant. That is amazing. And it just from the bottom of my heart, thank you for keeping the traditions and the stories and the legends of the circus alive. Um, it, it's such a part of American history and world history that I, I'm just so glad there are folks like you out there that will keep it alive for, for future generations. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All my friends, even ones that were in the circus business, they say, you know, you should do your own podcast. And I said, I need time to do that. But uh, And then I said, well, what the hell am I going to do? And they said, be you. And I said, oh, God, I don't know how the hell to do that. I just <laughs> opened my mouth. Holy Christ. Well, I'll tell you right now, I would subscribe to that podcast in a heartbeat. Yes, I would do. And I would have you as a guest, so... You never know, right? Uh, we could talk about elephant poop. That's it. <laughs> a whole hour about elephant shit. You know, it's good fertilizer. I'm going to end it with that. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please keep the traditions of the circus alive. Uh, keep the memories of the circus alive. Even if clowns scare you a little bit, keep it. Keep it in your hearts. And uh, Chris, thank you so much. And I can't wait to do it again. Thank you for having me. Oh, Lauren, 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 what'd you think about that? That was amazing. Is the circus is it's gone. It's 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 our past. And uh just it's just so fascinating, it's so interesting to me. Um and he's great. Chris is absolutely phenomenal. But you know what we're gonna be doing next time we meet Lauren? Yes, talking about Christmas specials. That's right. It's going to be the Transatlantic History Ramblings Holiday Special. We're going to bring a couple special guests on um, that some, several of our listeners have written in and wanted to hear more from, some of the past guests they truly love. And I think we're going to do a little roundtable, and we're going to discuss some of our favorite holiday specials and holiday movies, and, you know, I'll be talking about Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. Yeah, you person. But, oh, I'm Lauren, it was, it was so good catching up and, and doing another show with you again after after a month. It was really good. Yeah, we should do more of these. Yeah, we should. Yeah, maybe another couple hundred? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Well, I guess it's about time we sign off, though, because it's getting late there in Wales. Or I should say it's getting late there in, in England. Yeah. The sweet-sounding girl in England. That was funny. 
So I'm going to close it down now until we next meet and maybe, you know, Santa Claus will pop in and say, you know, ho, 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 and all that happy horse shit. But until that time, from Brian in Buffalo. And Lauren in Swansea. Good night. Good night. They call it sick poo. <laughs>